on today's episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. I never want anybody to fear uh, the fear of losing. And, you know, part of taking that fear away from them is knowing that you did everything you could possibly do to prepare for that moment. Well, I was a fanatic. There's no doubt a fanatic. My goal was to get carried out of the wrestling room because of exhaustion, and it never happened. The thing it did for me every day about 6 o'clock is that when I got out, I looked back in, and there was nobody else there. Bottom line was I didn't reach my goal. So guess what happened? I went back in the room again. But I got some quality time because of just some kind of a fanatic goal. Welcome to the show, everybody. Today's episode is with Jeff Buxton. Now, Coach Buxton is one of the most elite high school coaches of any sport of all time. During a 20-year run, his team achieved the number one national ranking in 10 of those 20 years. And wrestling fan or not, you're going to learn a ton from one of the greatest coaches of our generation. We get into his childhood, which was incredibly challenging, and how that shaped his life. We talk about how he built a dynasty and some of the lessons he learned about motivation and leadership that are applicable to any skill, wrestling or not. So I really hope you enjoy this one. As always, if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, give us a rating, and check out WrestlingChangeMyLife.org for past episodes. Coach Buxton, we are we're live on the show here. We're out at Lehigh Valley. Um, obviously, it's a wrestling podcast. You're a legend in this sport. How did you get involved with wrestling originally? Um, so I uh, moved in with my aunt and uncle when I was uh, 12 years old, um, and they had um, a bunch of sons who wrestled. And so, you know, it was, um, I kind of followed the footsteps of uh, two of my older, I call them my brothers now, they're my cousins. Yeah. Uh, I followed their footsteps and you know, went into, it was sixth grade, I went into football, first time I played football before. Um, and then I wrestled in the winter, and then I played lacrosse in the spring, so, and you know, kind of followed what what they had done um, before that. Yep. And uh, it, it was a very athletic family, a very uh, competitive family. Uh, you know, on the weekends we all we always played touch football. On Sundays, uh, you know, big Thanksgiving games uh, in the front yard. And so it was, you know, just about everything we did was competitive: playing cards, playing board games. Uh, yeah. It it was that type of family. Uh, there there were um, seven of them, so I I joined a big family, and um, you know, for me it was uh, uh, a life changing. Um, situation because both my parents died when I was younger um, and it was certainly a uh, I, I was one of those kids that probably wasn't going down the right road and uh, moving in with them certainly put me down the right path yeah I mean I, I did know that you had lost your parents um, and obviously wrestling or anything that brings structure to your life is gonna help um, what were you like before wrestling um, you know, kind of a hangout kid at the beach. My my uh, brothers were surfers, very good surfers. So, um, you know, I used to go watch them surf all the time. Um, I had an older brother that had moved out of the out of the house. Uh, you know, even before I could can even remember. And then I had a younger brother that uh, um, uh, that uh, ended up moving. Um, when I moved to, up to Rhode Island with my aunt and uncle, I ended up going to the West Coast. Uh, unfortunately, all my brothers are dead now, and so that was, uh, you know, things that happened. Uh, either two of them were murdered. Uh, the other two died of uh, drugs and alcohol. So it was a, it, you know, tough lifestyle growing up. Um, and, uh, and you know, I feel very lucky and, and fortunate to uh, move into a family that cared about me. Uh, that. Um, and, you know, made me excel in school, um, you know, certainly in athletics and, uh, you know, had a, a really good experience uh, with um, just about every coach that I was involved in when I, when I moved up to Rhode Island, um, you know, from, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth and, you know, going up through high school. I, I felt that I had great coaches around me, good role models, mm -hmm. uh, made, made the sports fun for me. And, you know, I got really involved in sports and then took a, uh, went to on the University of Rhode Island, you know, once again had, you know, great, great role models and, and coaches with uh, a guy named Malin Nero and, you know, another guy named Gary Barton. And then, uh, um, 
uh, Carl Adams. So, uh, you know, I feel very fortunate to be uh, coached by those people and, and them uh, giving me, um, you know, a real good kind of, uh, some of them were systematic, others were not, uh, but a really good approach into how I started coaching as a, as a young coach. Um, and uh, I worked in a, in a high school um, very early in my career in Rhode Island and uh, took, a, took away a lot of, of interesting things fr from uh, that experience. Um, you know, and it was a different type of kid that went to the school. It was a, uh, a um, school that uh, most didn't go off to college. They they got them ready through vocations and mm -hmm. that were already in the in the school. So it was a different type of kid that I uh, I worked with at Blair, um, and you know the kids at Blair were just incredible all the way through. Yeah, I mean, totally different type of kid. Um, and I want to go back to your competition days because you were an undefeated. Uh, four-time undefeated prep champ in your day um i <laughs> it, it wasn't much um it, you know the competition um in growing up in uh, rhode island is is not the the greatest and uh, uh i only went to the national preps one year because uh the, well, the my junior year i went and i uh, didn't get through the skin skin check uh zach ray is said that I'm probably the guy who started all that stuff. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, it, it was, uh, um, it, you know, the competition was not always the greatest. And what I did, um, and I got some, you know, information from people, because up in, up in New England, it's, it's just not, and especially in the 60s and 70s, it's not a, a popular sport. Ho ice hockey is. And so when you would get around people that knew wrestling, you know, to me, it was you know fantastic, and I used to travel quite a bit mm -hmm. just to do that. And um, you know, I don't even know who it was, but got me uh, uh, to go to Doug Blueball's camp when I was in tenth grade, and that was you know a big eye eye opener for me just to be around a guy like that and have so much uh, knowledge. And it was Tom Milkovich was in was at that camp at the time, and uh, another time was Pat. So it was. Uh, it was great for me, you know, I, just to learn from these guys and know that, you know, there was a, just a, a different technical world out there than, than I was exposed to. Um, obviously, my older brothers had a big influence on me. Um, you know, we bought a book back in the 70s, a Bobby Douglas book, <laughs> and we would go through that and, and learn technique and try things out. And, that, you know, that's that's, you know, basically how... Um, you know, I started fooling around with, with different things because if we just didn't have the exposure or we didn't have the technology that we have today yeah. where, you know, you're able to you know, watch the world championships and see what's going on. I remember in 1972, just the ability to watch the, the first time I saw the Olympics on, on TV and yeah. watch just a little bit of, of the 72 Olympics and how exciting it was. And, yeah. um, and, you know, then it went from trying to move my antenna up on the roof to get it to face channel 39 to watch the lehigh matches all the way up in rhode island right. that, that's something that we do i mean i have my brother up on the roof move it to the left a little bit more and just <laughs> and we watch a snowy wrestling match and and but that's that's how i learned um but you just you loved know, it huh? yes yeah and and you know i had success in football i'm a, you know i'm a little tiny guy but yeah. i love playing football um and uh, i love playing lacrosse you know it's a, it's a great game and um you know, I played up, uh, you know, played both when I went to college. I played football, uh, lacrosse and, and wrestling. Um, but it was, you know, it's, sports were a big part of my life. Um, and and it may, it, it, the main uh, attraction was probably growing up in the family I, I did grow up in because everybody was an athlete. You know, we used to play basketball together. We used to play stickball together, uh, home run derby. We, we had a rope swing that we made, all kinds of you know, different games on the rope scene, but everything was a, you know, kind of a competitive athletic thing in the family. That's, that's fascinating. It reminds me of, of two themes from this book called The Talent Code. Have you ever read it? No. So they, they study, you know, elite pockets of talent throughout the world. Like there's a small town in Brazil that produces like 30% of the Brazilian soccer team, mm -hmm. the national team. But they said two things stick out. And the first is, you know, being a younger sibling, which certainly you were. Mm -hmm. And the second was some type of, of, of major tragedy at a young age mm -hmm. where, like again, like thirty percent of the 
the female Russian tennis players that come out of this this small camp, they had a single parent family mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, so do you think something like that created your dread? I don't know, um, it, you know, whether it was a, you know, a family tragedy. Um, you, you know, you try to leave those experiences and then those memories, you know, in a, in a, you know, a, a back place in your mind. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, obviously, uh, it's Veterans Day today, and yeah. um, my father had fought in World War II and in the Korean War and, and died while being a Navy pilot. Um, so you know, that's that's heavy in my heart today, and, and it's and it's something that I think about. And I didn't even get to know the man. You know, he died when I was three months old. Um, yep. And I've heard incredible stories about him and, and, you know, what kind of athlete he was at, at, you know, at a young age and then and, and coming up through the Navy and, and being a pilot and then being a, a Blue Angel. You know, the things that you're really proud of. And, and you know, th I think of him, you know, when Veteran Days comes around. Amazing. Yeah. And it's a it's an incredible sacrifice to have a cousin who's in the service so mm -hmm. certainly they're all in our thoughts today and so coach when you got to blair in 82 you were a wrestling coach and a lacrosse coach but then in 91 narrowed your focus just to wrestling i believe yes and and um that's more of me saying that somebody needed to put the time in like i was putting in in wrestling and lacrosse to make that program go a little bit better and um, I was running ragged trying to run freestyle practices in the spring and then, you know, doing some th the, the things that I did in the off season with the, with the athletes and in, in whether it was in the fall or the spring or the summer that I felt that somebody should be doing with the, with the lacrosse players. Um, so it, it wasn't, uh, it was more of a, um, uh, another person needing to, needing to take over that program and bringing it to, I think, with you know where, uh, a different level than where I was, and I enjoyed coaching, yeah. um, but it was really hard for me to do, um, to you know, my job as a math teacher, and then work in a dormitory, and then you're a monitor, and then you're a coach this season and a coach this another season, but trying to manage that that program all the way through. Um, it, you know, being a, a teacher at Blair is really hard. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of expectation out of you. Um, your preparation for class has to be top notch because you got, you know, very bright kids going in there every day asking questions, wanting to learn, and then turning that around and going to, into a wrestling room where uh, the kids would push you just about every second of every practice. I, and I'm excited to get into those practices and the guys you worked with. And just for the listeners who don't know, give them a, a 30 second commercial on Blair. It's a very unique school. So it's a, a school of about 500 kids in Northwest. Uh, New Jersey. Um, I want to say 350 to uh, maybe 375 are, are kids who live there. So you take on a, a different responsibility as a teacher. Um, you're, you're around kids 24-7 um, and you know basically t being a teacher as well as uh, you know um, a parent or uh, not their parent but a, you know a, whether it's a big brother or an, an older figure in their lives that are helping them manage uh, what they're trying to do uh, academically athletically socially uh, so it's a you know it's a very different uh, I worked in a public school for two years it's a very different uh, scenario of, of you know what what happens with a kid in their in their daily lives um, you have a lot of control um, and um, how you want kids to manage their lives, uh, and a lot of them are looking for that, which is which is really good. Um, the uh, class settings are um, very small. Um, you know, I had a some classes that were as small as seven, and maybe the largest one was maybe fifteen to, to nineteen kids, and. So the, the class sizes are, are very small, so there's an individual approach um, to what happens in a, in a classroom. And, you know, your worst problem that you have there is somebody didn't finish their homework or didn't do their homework that night. So that yeah. it's, it's a different, it's a very different uh, situation than, than, you know, working in uh, an inner city school or, or say, or, you know, just a, you know, a, fair, a, you know, a regular urban t urban town yeah. there's a high expectation from the parents there's a high expectation from the kids and there's a high expectation from the faculty so you know you're expected to do a lot um, you're expected to be very motivated and and if you don't you're gone so it's uh, 
it's no uh, no nonsense there. Yeah. And you had, I mean, maybe not you in particular, but the school in general had had kids whose family were like Saudi princes, and it yeah. just it, so it's a it's a different if, incredible. It, it's a unbelievable diversity at Blair. Um, you know, they had you know kids that lived in in the inner city to you know kids from Russia to kids from uh, Japan, China. So there was you know a, a big diverse diversity of kids who went there, and I think. The school um, did a very good job of, of, of keeping it that way, um, and um, there were a lot of kids there that, that needed it, um, that were looking for something a little bit different than they got in their public school education. Sure. And, and I'm not saying that it's better or it's worse. It, it was, it's more of kids looking for a change, and there's got to be um, that other hook like wrestling or mm -hmm. football or basketball, because there are a lot of private schools that are out there. But uh, um, you know, something that grabs a kid's eye and you know he makes them want to go to to school because it's expensive, um, it's hard, uh, it's uh, it's um, demanding. But I'm I'm really happy that my kids got the experience to be able to go to Blair. Yeah. I mean, and, and you ended up coaching your son yep. eventually, is that right? I, I had I coached them. I had both my kids in class. Um, okay. So, you know, that's, that's very different. Uh, I would say that the one thing that surprised me the most is I never realized how smart my son was when I, until I taught him. Uh, you know, he picks things up so quick. And I knew he was a good reader, and, I, you know, and he always did well in school. But you know he's a very bright kid, and so it was that. That was like, wow, he's really smart. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing that you um, that you taught him as well. I guess I never made that connection, but yeah. of course you would. Have. And yeah. your daughter and as well. And my daughter, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, the, you know, usually I, I, I don't. I think they try to keep um, kids out of their 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 parents' classes, but sometimes it happens. And, it overlaps. Yeah. yeah. And you know, coaching my son was. Um, I, I tried to um, kind of back away from him, and he he came after me, and uh, it ended up being a you know a really good experience for me, um, as well for him. Um, it, you know, it's one that because um, I know I'm a jerky coach at times and, yeah. and demand a lot, and uh, y you know you you when you're coaching your own kid the blood pressure goes up the heart rate goes up and um, you, you know you want them to do so well and sometimes yeah. you, you don't say the right thing you you're maybe a little bit too hard on them so I was always trying to watch what I said to him to be careful about that and you know he was fantastic he you know he's one of those kids that worked his his butt off and and um, would uh, you know be the first one in and the last one to leave and, and you know was a good leader, a uh, good teammate, uh, you know, it's, and, and he learned a lot by by it and uh, graduated and had the chance to go to Harvard and you know great experience for him. Couldn't have asked for anything better, probably. Yeah. yeah. And, and and we'll mention this in the intro credits, coach. But when you took over Blair, they had won three national prep titles before that. Um, had a good pr background, but when you took over over the thirty some years that you ran it, you guys finished number one in the country ten times. Um, obviously, just the most elite high school during that period, bar none. Um, um, and so, when you took over ninety one, what was your vision for the program? Like, did you know where you wanted to take it? Uh, I would just say that it mostly evolved and, okay. and, and came along. And, and so um, in the early 80s, uh, the success of the program was mostly through postgraduates. Um, so there were kids that have already graduated from um, high school and came in for an extra year. And then we'd have a small group of uh, wrestlers that were really talented. And so they would wrestle uh, mostly against college competition and some, you know, prep tournaments and some other high school tournaments. So they had uh, their main team was competing against, you know, mostly college freshman teams. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, that was in 82. And then, um, uh, you know, in the later 80s, uh, I tried to make a, a push for develop uh, for changing the high school schedule, and and that's where it went in the 90s, and the school became a lot more uh, popular 
And so the demand of kids coming in became greater, and there wasn't that need to fill beds with the postgraduates. So, you know, I, I don't remember the exact number of my my first year, but I, I want to say that I think there were over 12 postgraduates there. Then sometimes it maybe even got up to 15. But it's a valuable. It was a valuable experience for those postgraduates. And you know, by t the time I left in in, tw in 2012, I think there was only four or five postgraduates. And I think even now they don't have any postgraduates there. So that it's unfortunate. But it, that program was a lot of work because um, what we developed around 2000 was a, a schedule for the postgraduates where they just we we would wrestle mostly and it was not a full team so we would go to mostly tournaments and a lot was in with the um, NWCA mm -hmm. uh, and so we got involved in, in a lot in those events and going to the East Stroudsburg Open and uh, any other type of opens that we could get those guys into. So they had, you know, maybe a 40 to 50 match schedule, which was good, but most of it was tournaments um, because we just didn't have the numbers to to uh, do a dual team. So the high school schedule really developed um, then, and, and, you know, we were a big part of some of these bigger tournaments that – uh, came about like the Ironman, the Beast of the East, the Reno Tournament of Champions, um, you know, being a part of those and, and then dragging all the other top teams in the country. And we started traveling and meeting each other, which yeah. uh, I don't think was happening before that. And, and, and you know, it took a lot of money. So, it caught, you know, we had to raise a lot of money to do all these things. Um, but it, it gave kids an, an incredible opportunity to wrestle on a national level um, almost every weekend and uh, to compete against the people they needed to wrestle and yeah. uh, it, it, you know it was exciting to watch the the beast of the east um, really develop as a you know kind of a 12 tournament team and then um, you know later I, f I thought was a uh, a truly of a, a beast because it would it got the Ohio schools mm -hmm. it was dragging in some of the other schools um, from Pennsylvania um, so it was getting the you know the top New York New Jersey Ohio Pennsylvania schools to go there and so there were you know some great competitions and you know certainly a lot of kids grew up in in, in those in those tournaments and you know a lot of good kids fell yeah. and same with the Ironman um, and, and you know the Ironman has kind of held its its status all the way through um, it's still really really competitive um, I went we went to Reno twice um, great tournament but I I had to, I couldn't justify to myself enough bang for the buck yeah um, so we, we stopped going out to um, to the to the west coast um, and you know it's really hard uh, for these kids to keep up with their academics and and uh, you know wrestling and everything they had to do in their lives if we were traveling that much so I kind of pick and chose yeah. uh, where we went how we went and um, you know tried to stay um, as local as we possibly could to, to avoid you know long travel all the time and try to pick times where I felt because I was a teacher where the kids wouldn't be stressed so much and we could have uh, good tournaments. Like we went out to a, uh, two years to a tournament in Oklahoma, and I I, I just had my foot on the pedal too much, and then we, you know I ended up uh, not going uh, back to it. I don't even know if they have those tournaments, but we went out to Broken Arrow one year, yeah. and yep. Yep. Um, God, I can't remember where the other place was. But um, you know, I at that point I felt it was too much on the kids that. Uh, it, it was too much competition, too much travel, not enough uh, rest and recovery. Um, you know, especially how we started our season with uh, we would start with you know a, a tournament where you know you're putting the singlets on and you're going to you know right to the frying pan at the Ironman, mm -hmm. followed by the Beast of the East, and then I really like going out to the Powerade, and you know by that time we'd have two or three kids out of the lineup, which I didn't care because it gave another kid an opportunity to, to you know, see those tournaments. And the reason I like the Powerade is because Western Pennsylvania is such a great place to wrestle. Yeah. And, and, you know, the kids know how to scramble. They know how to ride. They know how to win matches. They wrestle the edge very well. And, it, it, you know, just gave another thing for me to prepare for. And, and you know, and that was 
you know, the whole idea of how I tried to set our season up was at this tournament we need to prepare for this, at this tournament we need to prepare for that. This, and, you know, by the end of the year we got a, you know, a full um, realm of, you know, the type of competition that we're going to wrestle. Because if you wrestled East in high school, it's going to be very different than wrestling Great Bridge or wrestling Graham High School or wrestling, you know, St. Ed's. So it was, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it, as a coach, I had to work really hard in preparing our, our kids for those different competitions. So you wanted to expose them as much as possible. And you even said you didn't want kids to go feed on your team yeah. if you could help it. Well, I mean, that, that means you're doing the right things and you're putting them under the, the – the you know the demands that I think that they need mm -hmm. and everybody does well when, if they're humbled and and yeah. and if they can understand you know what they're what you're trying to do and and how you're trying to do it they they buy into it um, you know we had a couple of kids go undefeated um, and you know they used to say coach you didn't do your job but it, <laughs> but I did do my job and and put them against the competition that that they that they really needed and you know like a guy like Stephen Mako he was a freak as a junior in high school and and I couldn't even have him wrestle with the high school kids at, at this point and so I had to bring in college kids and, and get them into competitions that would be appropriate for him and he was ready to wrestle college level guys as a as a junior in high school and I you know I had a lot of other athletes that were I felt the same way. Um, Who are some others that stick out like that? Uh, Mark Perry. Uh, Unbelievable. Um, Zach Esposito, Corey Cooperman, uh, Kurt Backus, uh, Max Meltzer, um, Matt Palmer. Um, Ed Ruth? Ed, Ed, Ed. What was that guy like? Give, give us some insight into working with that, that specimen. So um, the best thing I can say about Ed was he adapted really well. Um, and he came to Blair, and, and it was a one-year deal. And uh, uh, one of my former wrestlers, Marat Tamayev, who's a, you know, just another interesting person. He came from uh, Vladikoskov, Osadia. Uh, you know, came to Blair um, of me just uh, talking to his coach at the '96 Olympics, and then, and then we got him there the next year. And me understanding why this guy wanted to get this particular kid to the United States was to get an education. Mm -hmm. And really successful story, went on to Penn State, and he's still um, in the United States. He he's, uh, runs a trucking firm. Um, okay. You know, just a fantastic person, still involved in the sport, but he was Ed Ruth's club coach. And he had the ability to n know that Ed needed something different to make him jump a level and, and I think I'd made it finish fifth in the um, Pennsylvania States and which is a, a good accomplish but when he came to Blair really took off and and you know I think mainly because of the structure of practice and everything that was going on but uh, one time he came late to practice three days in a row and and you know I was really chewing his butt out on the third day and he said to me Coach, you can stop yelling at me. I understand what you're saying. I won't be late again. Oh. And, and so you know, and, and so I then I understood Ed a lot more about you know his mentality, uh, you know how he uh, chose to do things. A very laid back um, guy, um, and we probably were teaching him too much wrestling because there would be times where I would just say, "Hey, Ed, slap the cradle on him. We need a pen right now." And he'd slap the cradle on him and pin him. Yeah. So he, you know, he had um, the one thing that I really noticed about Ed was his his grip strength. You know, early on, um, and then one time in practice, he was on top of me, and I didn't like that at all. So I, I didn't go on bottom on him again. Um, but he, you know, had a he's an incredible athlete um, that has you know a zillion tools um, and uh, was you know could really. Could really wrestle. I mean, it, uh, I you know he'll be successful in the MMA. And, oh yeah. Um, he's he's you know he's a character. He's very funny. Um, he, during the first week of school, he told everybody. Uh, it, well, his dad's name is Ed. His brother's name is Edmund. He was. Uh, her dad was Eddie. He was Ed. So it was a little bit of the. Oh my God. Um, um. It, well, anyways, the first week of school, he said, uh, "Coach, my name's Latrell." So I, you know, I went around and I told everybody, "It's not Ed. It's Latrell." And so, um, 
uh, the first time Parents Weekend came around, I run into his parents and uh, and I said to his parents, Latrell's over there. And uh, and we kept on talking. I said again, Latrell's over there if you want to go see him. <laughs> and his mom finally turned to me and said, uh, Coach Buxton, who's Latrell? <laughs> <laughs> so he was so, messing with you, huh? Yes, he was messing with me. Well, that story about him being late, um, it kind of goes – or it kind of makes the point of something you said, where you you tell your guys you coach everyone the same, but really you coach them differently. Um, can you Abs- talk to that a little bit and that a- leadership philosophy? Absolutely. Um, so you know, there's there's different ways of motivating kids, and there's different ways of getting the the best out of them, and 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 it's there are different ways how you can make them enjoy the sport. So I mean, even in my workout upstairs today, I had Joey McKenna. Uh, who's you know one of the best college wrestlers out there, and then you know he's training with uh, Richie Lewis, who's a world champion, and then there's Darian Cruz, who's an NCAA champion, and then there's Frank Pirelli, who's an All-American, and then there's I have Giuseppe Ray, who is a Division three wrestler, and they're all different uh, types of people, and they're uh, you know they all have different characters, and there's all all different ways of trying to get the best out of them. And you got to I feel, and especially in that individualized type of situation. There's different ways to motivate them and different mm-hmm. ways that you can get them to react the way that you want to want them to react. So uh, <clears throat> I would, tr- if I was talking to my team right now, I would tell them that I'm going to treat everybody the same, but there was no way that I would treat everybody the same. Um, that, you know, there are certain things that uh, you're going to say to one kid um, that it's going to be different to another kid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, y- you know, no, trying to figure out the, the right buttons to push or the... Um, the right way to get them to accomplish what they they want to accomplish are going to be you know different settings um but you 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 know you want to be have it i think a little bit um militaristic where you have a lot of structure in your program but you're able to bend or you're able to talk to somebody differently than you would another person yeah so that's it seems to be a common theme, though, with all the great coaches. Phil Jackson, um, Coach Gable, obviously, they all talk about treating guys differently, whether it's you know, Dennis Robin, send him mm-hmm. to Vegas for a couple of days yep. and keep yep. Jordan Pippen here. So it yeah. yeah. seems that that's a, a pervasive theme. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, when you're, when you're entrenched in the sport or entrenched in education, uh, you kind of learn these things. And, um, and uh, you know, having the ability, the ability to, and I would say that as a wrestling coach, I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes will overdo the, the the technical part of the sport, but I think it's an important part of the sport, sport as well as the grind. Yeah. Um, so, the, you know, it's that mixture that's going to make somebody really, really good. Yeah. Um, you, you know, knowing how to push somebody to a level that they've never been pushed before and knowing when to back off on that too. And, yeah. and sometimes you do it right and sometimes you do it wrong, but the only way you're going to really find out how you're going to do it is you've got to bring them there. And to, um, you don't want to push a kid over the, um, over the top, I think, too much because then it's going to turn them off and, and, you know, it's they're going to have to have some kind of success to keep coming back and doing. And and it's not always the wins and the losses. It's it's that success that they get. Uh, you know, whether they're competing on a good team or not, how they fit, feel, how they fit into mm-hmm. it, um, and making everybody feel important to the team. I I think is an important aspect. Yeah. Well, and how do you, to your point, when you're bordering pushing guys to the brink to get them to that dark place so they know what it's like and then pulling them out how do you structure a week of practices to, so to i i would you know i'm very different this way i i know what i'm going to do and i'm always willing to change it on the fly got it um so and i you know just a, even even in, in my club practices i'm trying to bring the energy to that practice um for, right from the get-go and if i feel the energy's down uh, or there, you know, it's been back-to-back workouts that have uh, caused the energy to be down. Sometimes I have to change my practice on the go. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, I never want to put somebody in a in a situation where the, it's the brink of pushing them so hard that they're going to get hurt. It's it's it, you know, it's knowing how they feel, what they've been doing, how they've been doing it, what's what's the school day uh, look like. 
uh, or the you know the college day have been like what was the practice before this knowing what you did and and you're trying to get the most out of them from maybe back-to-back hard days or or you're going to have to lay back and there have been some times where I've I've been in a practice situation where I plan not having a hard practice when I saw the mentality and 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 what the effort was in practice I kept it going yeah so it, you know it's you know, people have asked me how I've done that, and I, I say, that's my feel. It's a feel. And, and you know, I, you want me to write up a workout, I'll write it up, but I'll completely change it by the end of it, by where, by where it's going to go. Yeah. <coughs> so I'm never afraid to do that, and I think in, in talking with other coaches that are really successful, and Pat Santoro and I talk, you know, constantly for, you know, almost – you know, since he since he wrestled with me in 1984, yeah, um, it's been that kind of relationship that you know we've we've been open and talking and, and you know I think that he's taken a lot in his book from uh, the things that you know I've done and what I've tr- you know tried to do. Um, the one thing that I always try to do is try to make one element of learning in a practice whether it's going to be a grind practice or you know a light practice that I want somebody to take something away from that practice from a technical standpoint uh, that's going to make them better and how do you think about the mindset training because I think oftentimes the difference between the the elite performers and the great performers is the the attitude or mindset they have going into and how they handle stress what do you think about that 100 percent and I think that's that's the part that's the trickiest. And, um, you know, for an example, when I was at Blair, um, I would never let the wrestlers into the room until I was ready to let them into the room. So part of that was trying to have them come through the doors to have the mindset of it's now to turn the switch on to practice. And so, you know, I've, the, I've been into other wrestling rooms where, you know, kids kind of, come in and they lay down some even fall asleep before practice tie in their shoes yes yeah, yeah. so um around. Uh, you know i tried to make it uh once we hit the room man you're ready to go wow and and if if it wasn't that i would throw everybody out and you make kick people out the whole team how many times did you do that you think a couple uh, times a year um probably more really yeah probably more it's funny you seem like a guy who really masters the balance of pushing kids and being real strict, but also having that trust with them too. Um, oh yeah, you, I, I mean, I, I, you it, probably don't admit that, but other people will say that. Um, if they don't trust you, they're not going to listen to you. Right. So, um, you know, there was a high um, quality of athlete that was in the room today, and and you know, I feel each one of those guys trust me, and they know that I have their backs, and yeah. I'm trying to do everything I can for them to be successful on the world level yeah um and you know i'm constantly pushing myself to become a a better coach to be a better technical coach and you know i'm one of those guys that keeps on learning yeah um and and i would you know a little bit off the subject but no please um since i've left blair um my my mind has been opened up way more um because i'm around world-class athletes quite a bit so uh, I would say that I'm constantly changing or I'm looking at something what this guy does as opposed to this guy does and there's you know there's a lot of ways to finish a single leg but you know trying to figure out what works best for this person is is you know going through that when I would say you know growing up as a coach this is the way you do it and this is the only way you do it and I've changed from that aspect quite a bit. Um, and, you know, body types are different. Um, you, you know, tactics are, are different for this person as opposed to this person. So, there, you know, you try to teach a, a team of uh, uh, a certain type of system, but there are kids that are going to go outside of that system and do things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, like Corey Cooperman is a good example of it. I work for a year... Well, his freshman year, I'm trying not to let people touch his legs. And then I finally said, this is not working. Let's pull him into your legs. And he had he had huge success when any time anybody touched his legs. Scrambling and yes. stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. in, you know, for that kid, it was it, for Corey, it was different than it would be for, like, Zach Esposito. 
And, and so, you know, Zach was a very good counter wrestler um, and did very well when people didn't touch his legs. Right. And then there's Mark Perry that was, you know, uh, he was a party, you know, he let guys in on his legs. And, and so, you know, the, in working with, you know, those three different types of kids on a team, you had to have a little bit of a systematic approach that you had to do things this way, but, and then branching out and how they were wrestling was, was very different. I just want to spend a little bit of time, Mark Perry, before we go into some. I have about four questions from the listeners here for you. But with Coach, uh, not Coach, but Mark Perry, uh, nephew of John Smith, um, he went to Iowa when I was in high school, so I was a huge fan of his. Um, what was it like coaching a guy who has that type of wrestling fame, a tradition in the family, and he's moving from Oklahoma? I mean, mm-hmm. it's talk to us about that a little bit. Okay, so um, Mark loves the sport, loves everything about the sport. He loves the training. Uh, he loves the mind, the mindset of it. He he loves the technical aspect of the sport, uh, and he has an incredible mind, uh, high IQ for for wrestling. So um, uh, the one thing that would um, that kind of fascinated me about Mark was I could show him something, and then he would adapt it to how it would work best for him. Mm. So he was, you know, he was an incredible writer. Um, he was incredibly tough to take down, and and when he had to, he could find a way to score on his feet. So you know, he he had, um, I think, in the, the way that I feel that he always felt that he was his destiny was to be a, an NCAA champion. Um, he truly believed that. He truly believed that all the way through. Wow, no and, doubt. And. Um, so that you know, having the opportunity to have, you know, to wrestle Hendricks in the finals and beat him, <laughs> I didn't doubt it. Um, and you know, and you know, he, and he, you know, he found a way to, to compete even though that he wasn't, he wasn't right. His knee was bothering him. I mean, just an incredible performance. Yeah. I mean, and uh, you know, I have the utmost respect for Mark as uh, as an athlete and even more as a coach you know he really breaks things down um he's very systematic about how he does things he's been able to take uh, things from other sports and, and adapt them to you know he's a fan of the mma and how uh, they study people and how they prepare for people and mm-hmm. and, and he takes the same um the t- same type of uh, attitude and and what he's learned from that and doing it in, in now he's working at the RTC, but yeah. also in, yeah. in college wrestling. Um, so, I, you know, I think he's a fantastic coach. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I feel the way the same way with uh, Corey Cooperman and, and Zach Esposito. And these, these happen to be three guys on the same team that had, <laughs> had incredible minds and could pick a lot of wrestling up fast. I remember giving Zach the European Championships, and he came back and showed me 15 things that he that he learned by just watching. Wow. Um, so, you know, I had, uh, and, and even, you know, up in the room I have now, I have incredible athletes that that uh, can do incredible things that want to learn, and, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll take a situation and we'll, we'll work it out, um, and that was the same with, with those guys. Yeah. I mean, they, they, were, they, they were just, you know, uh, students of the sport, um, great IQs, and sometimes in wrestling, I mean, sometimes in practice, I would just sit back and go, "Hey, did you just see what he did?" And you know, it was just, it was just so much fun, fun to coach. Too. These guys were scrapping each other, similar yes. weights, and yes, I just unbelievable. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, well, I mean, that's those are great stories, and I, I would love to keep on the wrestling. But you know, some of the listeners are not wrestlers, mm-hmm. and so I just want to shift to. I have four questions here for you, Coach. We'll wrap this up. Fair? Yeah. Cool. So, you know, when you think about, you know, competition, you're a guy who loves competition. Um, and I got that from talking with you earlier. You know, what is it about it that you love? And how do you think the great performers are able to, you know, take any sense of fear or stress away from and just perform? Well, I, I never want anybody to fear uh, the fear of losing. And, you know, part of taking that fear away from them is knowing that you did everything you could possibly do to prepare for that moment. And so as a coach, you try to instill everything that you tried to, to prepare them to be at this moment, at this time, and to do things to their best abilities. And, and not to f- fear 
what's just about to happen, but to enjoy what's just about to happen. Having that opportunity to, you know, win an NCAA t- championship or to make a world team and then go along and to be a world champion, of having that opportunity to go through the steps and the process that you need to go through um, and, and bringing yourself to that point in your life because you're not going to get it over again. You have that one chance of stepping out on the mat and to become, you know, whatever whatever tournament it is or whatever, you know, goal that you're, you're trying to face of trying to um, bring an athlete to, to that point. So whether it's from a, a technical standpoint or from a training standpoint or just from a, a, a mental standpoint of not – not fearing that task. Got it. Okay. Man, love it. What about visualization? Um, when you think about visualizing a big competition, is that something you've ever worked on with your guys? Or Well, I, I'm, I, what I will say is the best do it. And it's something that, and, and I don't know why I have this ability. I see something and I go back and I, I try to work on it. And this was before videotaping was, was even big, you know, of of seeing something that um, that you felt that was would make you better and being able to visualize it in your mind um, so th- you know other people take them to m- you know more extremes of you know vision visualizing yourself on the podium winning the tournament hey if you're not doing that already you're not going to win and and you know part of that is is believing in yourself enough that um, you're not talking about well what if I do this to lose or what if I uh, I'm not prepared for this. You got to you got to go and do the things that are going to prepare you for that process, and to be able to think that you're going to win these matches because it's just not going to happen by chance. It's no. it's uh, you got to believe it, 100. Um, percent You got to believe it. You got to visualize how you're doing things, and and I I feel that the very best visualize incredibly well. Right, like it's incredible detail, and they it, could spend you know, 20, 30 minutes there yes. without even noticing. Yeah, I mean, so like, for me, when I see something, um, I go back and visualize it. I I visualize the hand position, the head position, the foot position, but all, you know, also the entire move, and, and I can play it over and over in my mind. And I feel that the, you know, the the guys who, um, you know, like a David Taylor or a Kyle Dake. Mm-hmm. Or Jordan Burroughs, man, they can do this incredibly well. Incredibly, Jaden, Jaden Cox, incredibly well. Kyle Snyder, incredibly well. Gwiz, I mean, these are the best guys in the world that can do these things. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And what do you think about um, when you um, when you're starting to develop trust with a wrestler or start working with coaches? Like, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see coaches making along those fronts? Um, Not naming names, just in general, leadership or coach. Uh, you know, I, I think if you get down on an athlete, I mean, you can get down on them, but if you if you grind them to where they're at, to a point where, um, and I see parents do this a lot, um, you know, they think they're they're doing the right thing for their kid, and, and, and especially in a in a losing situation where they're yelling at them or they punish them for for a loss, mm-hmm. I, I think is you know cruel and and. Because nobody wants to lose. Nobody's planning on losing. Um, and uh, the, for some be, some people that come, you know, come down to the end of a match and can't find a way to win, um, you know, that's that's the goal. You know, put the ball in my hands, and you know that type of attitude where you're trying to teach them to do that. And mm-hmm. and those coaches that are, I think are. Um, and I have to correct myself from doing this from time to time of, of uh, being too critical and saying the wrong thing like you suck or yeah. um, it, you know I'll say you suck in a, in, a, in, in a teasing type of way of trying to motivate somebody to, to work a little bit harder or what you did just sucked mm-hmm. or you know that's horrible that's terrible you you know it, it, knowing when to hit those, uh, type of moments are, I think, crucial. Um, uh, you know, I think a lot of times when coaches are in that panic mode of, you know, coming to a competition and um, and they try to rev it up, sometimes they it can backfire on them um, because you they put too, so much pressure on a kid to win. And, and, uh, and, and there's got to be that enjoyment factor 
the fun of going through the competition and, and enjoying what you're doing instead of, man, this is so stressful. Right. And, and, and that was one thing that I tried to do <coughs> when, uh, you know, it came down to these uh, matches of number one versus number two of, hey, this is just another match. You know, go out and let's perform our best. This is what we've worked really hard for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, take the opportunity right now of of going out and having fun in, in this moment. Um, and that's the same if, you know, if you watch Kyle Dake wrestle at the World Championships, man, oh, man, did he enjoy the moment. Um, <coughs> the same, the same, same with David Taylor, the same with Jaden Cox. I mean, they just enjoyed the moment. They, yeah. and, and, and it was... You know, you know, it's been great watching these guys uh, grow up because I've known David and, and Kyle since they were young kids, and you know, watching them develop through college, and, and you know, even taking the step this year of winning their first national championships. I think they did it because of they were in a good place. Yeah, they believed in themselves. They believed in their training, and and they were prepared to win. To win, um, you know, even though that. Um, you know, Kyle had a setback in the, in, uh, in Krasnyarts. You know, he learned from that setback, and and you know, the guy's in, in, is trained incredibly hard to put himself in this situation. But a lot of it is being more from a positive standpoint yeah. than from a negative standpoint. Wasn't it amazing how much perseverance they had from <coughs> some of the best college wrestlings ever had to offer? Then they just made their first world team this year. Yes, unbelievable. Well, you know, there's a guy. There's this guy, Jordan Burroughs. He's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and so there were there were things in their way, um, and the, the you know David's got himself bigger and 86 kilo, and, and there's a new weight class for Kyle, and there's a new weight class for Jaden, um, that you know has kind of worked out well for us being able to put all these guys out on the mat. You know, when they had it back to six weight classes, man, that's hard. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's hard. That's a shame. And do you know, uh, are you familiar with Sam Calavita, the guy who Taylor works with? Yes. On his, he doesn't, so he works with Pico, Dillashaw. Yes. I mean, he seems to really have a, have everything lined up out there. Yeah, from diet to training. Um, and he works with Frankie also, Frankie Pirelli. Oh, he does? Yes. And so, okay. um, you know, that's how I've gotten to know that aspect of it. And, and you know, some of the things that I think, Kyle does with his functional training is I saw that yeah. is is you, you know I think other people should learn from it and um, you know some people say that he's gone to this extreme but man you know he's a gifted athlete before he started doing it but you know now he's even a more gifted athlete there's a lot of woo woo around the move movement coaches don't you think some of them do it really well some are a little uh little snake oil i mean what do you what do you think about it whatever works yeah. works yeah seriously yeah so i mean mcgregor does that with ito portel yes i mean it's you're talking about when we were talking before about mindset if this is what puts a guy in a good place then let's do it and right. and um you know this has has all of these guys in a good place in their lives and 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 you know what they're doing in their competition and they're doing it really well yeah okay wow then that, that plays along with the mindset really does it really does so it's what i mean and what you're going back to earlier is kind of about the stress of a big match or a tournament it's just what you tell yourself right if you tell yourself this is an exciting moment yeah. versus um you know stressful moment that's what you're going to believe mm-hmm. i mean i i think really to be successful you have to picture in your own mind that you're a success right and, and um in working with younger athletes and having them believe in themselves is really important and um, trying to talk to him about, uh, you know, they'll say to me, I really hope I don't mess up this match. And I said, well, you already did. It's a fear-based <laughs> Yes. Yeah. You should be thinking about how successful that you're going to be in this match, yeah. how much fun you're going to have when you wrestle in this match, right. and how much you're going to open up and make things happen because you can't do it over again. Right. And it goes back to that notion of we have two types of thoughts, constriction-based thoughts, things that make us scared, tight, you know, mm-hmm. make us very anxious or expansion-based thoughts mm-hmm. and it creates movement it creates looseness and yes. it's a good feel-good thing yes i think when people are loose and you know having fun with the sport that they're going to be a lot more successful yeah um you know and it's 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 different than of you know these one-on-one sports are very different than uh, than team sports you know that where 
there can be one guy that's down and then everybody gets that or the you know there is another person on the team to be able to get that person up to get them to perform a little bit better um and you know in wrestling or in, in in boxing or in golf or in tennis you know you have to have that mindset of being a cheerleader as well as a coach and getting yourself up prepared and how you're going to you know present yourself in competition and and to me that comes from what you're going to do in practice if you're not doing these things in practice right. it's really hard to get yourself ready for i think for a competitive moment right and i think that's a, a good point the mindset all that's great it's only great if it's coupled with the actual work yes right yeah. um okay well, well last question here for you coaches um for the non-wrestlers listening everyone looks at wrestling as a way to develop mental toughness, um, you know, discipline, hard work, all those great qualities, but mental toughness to me sticks out and mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. But do you think mental toughness can be learned or taught? Good question. So I've talked to and, I, you know, I've experienced, m- m- most of my experiences by me doing things instead of uh, me reading about them or, and when I read about them, I go, wow, that's, pretty cool yeah I wish I read about this sooner um, but I, I've <clears throat> talked with uh, Navy SEALs a lot about mental toughness and, and um, they really believe that they um, have a way of developing mental toughness and I would agree to that but I also agree that they find a way of bringing mental toughness out in those people that I think you're you're really born with it. Um, you think deep down it's deep down. Better. I think it's really they just weed out the ones who don't have it. That's right. Yeah. Um, and a lot happens the same way in wrestling, um, in um, where they're able to um, a coach is able to bring out that. Of course, a lot of it's going to be a acquired and being pushed to those limits um, but when you find those that have the very best mental toughness I think that that's something they've had their entire lives or it's the way that they were brought up yeah um, in in or the families that they grew up in um, I watched this show billions yeah love it yep and to me these guys are all about mental toughness yeah and and the way that they've acquired in in their business and in their in their working careers and they're always grinding for the for the competition mm-hmm. and you know I believe that that happens in in, in life when you you know you see these um, you know fabulous businessmen and, and you know I have a friend that's this way and he's incredibly tough the way that he goes after it in business he also a wrestler but. Um, you know the way that he's so competitive about his business and how he pursues things and you know his drive and his goal you know he never sits back he's always pushing 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 Mm -hmm. uh, and always trying to improve 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 and it's you know it's 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 a different field than athletics, but it's the same field. Same thing. It's the exact same thing, and and he blows me away about how his work his work ethic is incredible, but his mental toughness is even even something extraordinary. And I don't think he probably had that same mental toughness in wrestling at that time in his life. But it's something that came out as he you know continued to grow and be successful as a business person. Well, and that's the great thing about wrestling is that it teaches you all that. And yes. The sad thing is a lot of people, even who did other sports, um, especially people who didn't do sports, they just have no idea how much further they can actually go mm-hmm. and how much is left in the tank. Yes. And that's, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's when you do a, a hand-to-hand combat sport, you better be tough or else you're going to get hurt. And, yeah. and so, you know, you have to prepare yourself you know whether it's it's jiu-jitsu or, or or boxing or MMA or wrestling or tennis or you know any of those sports if if you're not if you're not prepared to do the work it's you know it's easy to quit it's easy and you used to do a lot of stuff like that at Blair unconventional stuff I remember watching a flow <laughs> video with you had what like some 
sticks with batons. I mean, yeah. do you know you know what I'm talking about? No, I do know what you're talking well, about. What was that? I, those would probably get me in trouble these days. <laughs> but I. But you were known for unconventional methods like that. I, I, I know I would make kids fight a lot. Yeah. Because I'm trying to bring out the toughness in them. Yeah. Um, I would make them box, and it, you know they, and it's a great way of I think boxing is is good in developing footwork and hand hand positioning at the same time you know something that I don't think we work enough as as a country of developing footwork and and being able to put people in position to to score and I think by going outside of the regular element of you know bringing toughness in with it um, you know, that's all I was trying to do, and 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 it worked, and it worked. I, you know, I felt I, I, I had a team that went from being okay mentally wise to being really tough. Um, the unfortunate thing behind that boxing was uh, Stephen Mako stole my boxing equipment and was arranging matches back in the in the dormitory <laughs> at ten o'clock at night. <laughs> And they were betting on it. Oh, I mean, who would who would fight that guy at that school? No, no, no. They would arrange matches with kids in the dorm. Oh, not him. He's, yeah, he's no, like the, no, nobody would fight him. I mean, he this he he just seemed like such a larger than life guy. I mean, was yeah. the hype as real as it was now looking back on it? Oh yeah, when you were there, worse, <laughs> worse. Uh, he, he was. I mean, he was a freak um, uh, because in, you know he's probably. As tough of a human being as I've ever I ever met, and when it came came time to compete, anybody he competed against was his enemy, and he was going for blood. He absolutely every time it didn't matter who it was, good or bad. You know he just wanted to go out and and beat that guy to a pulp. Yeah. Um. And it, you know it was good for other people to be. Uh, exposed to something like that because it it brought them up another level of seeing how hard this guy and he he trained he he trained tremendously hard uh, he prepared incredibly well for people he he liked scouting uh, he liked to know he loved to be and this is all of these guys and you know when I talk about a David Taylor and a Kyle Dakin and a Jordan Burroughs, these are guys that love to be coached they want to be coached and I feel the same with the guys that I have here I mean I got a great job I got guys awesome that job. guys that love to be coached um, and, and that's the way Stephen was love to be coached you know give me more give me more get, you know I need to do this and, you know he would sneak into the weight room at, in the middle of the night and go go get extra um, strength workouts and you know I had to tell him Steve man you got to calm it down this is a team with Perry Esposito mm-hmm. Cooperman all and Bacchus I mean eight Robbie first, Robbie Preston uh, for eight to eight first team All-Americans eight six All-Americans uh, I don't even know I, it, they all go together. For Crazy, me. but I mean, that team though is just unbelievable. But Mako in particular, though, he really still was just a, just a, a, a man among boys in there. Uh, uh, yes, uh, and I used to have to send him over here to wrestle Kerry McCoy. I was an you know Olympian. Olympian. Yes. <laughs> Oh my God, that's crazy. Uh, um, and, you know, people used to come in to wrestle with him. Um, uh, the big cat, Tom Erickson, unbelievably unselfish guy. He just wanted to, he, and the heavyweights are a little bit different. Um, he just wanted to, to help a guy along that he thought could be really successful. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was the uh, uh, guy who, oh, God, I can't remember. It was incredible how many guys wanted to come out and work out with him. So it was like a Rollins going to the Beast, Tommy Rollins, going to the Beast, of the, uh, going to um, Iron Man when you guys were going, or did he bump up against Mako in high school, or is this later that he kind of moved up to heavyweight? It was later. He started out at a, like a 103-pounder. and then Oh, was, Rollins did? Yeah. He was freshman. He was a 103-pounder, and then <laughs> I think he might have been, um, you know, 189 by the time he graduated from high school and then, then moved up to heavyweight. I'm not positive yeah. about that. But, but it was later he went yeah, up to heavyweight yeah, to wrestle him. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. it. Fascinating. Well, Coach, uh, we could talk all day, obviously, about stuff like this. What we always sign off with is, um, you know, in a couple of sentences, how would you say wrestling changed or saved or impacted your life? Out of things we've already hit on. But if you had to hit in a couple of sentences. Wrestling is my life. It's always been my life. Uh, it's always been a big part of my life. But in my life right now, this is what I do. And this is what I do every day. I work every day. Um I, I Literally love, seven days a week. Seven days. You were a telling week. me your schedule earlier. It's yeah, crazy. Seven days a week. Um, 
I, I it doesn't matter the kid. I work with eight-year-old kids to, uh, you know, world-class guys, and and you know, find it fascinating on all all different levels. Um, so, it, you know, wrestling has impacted me so much that it's it's brought me to this point in my life. I'm 62 years old, and and this is what I'm doing every day, and uh, uh, you, you know, trying to you know, bring something a little bit special to a, another person and so they can enjoy the sport as much as I've enjoyed it. Um, it's, it's taught me a lot about, um, certainly about toughness. Uh, you know, I think I was tough before I even started wrestling, uh, but it brought out, it brought out more of that. It's, it's taught me to be humble. Um, it's taught me how to win. It's taught me how to lose. It's taught me how to prepare. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those, you know, kind of mind-boggling sports that can have a significant impact on, you know, who you are and how you do things. Yeah, and the losing, the piece on losing is something that comes up every conversation we have is it teaches you how to lose because in real life you're going to lose all the time. All the time. And you're going to experience difficulty, whether it's relationship, death, whatever. You're mm-hmm. going to have a lot of hardship, whether you like it or not, and you got to be able to handle it. Handle it and know how to handle the situation better the next time uh, and if you don't do anything about it that's your fault right uh, you, you know you have a lot of control over those situations and you know sometimes the other person's just better than you um, yep. and um, you, you know I'm not going to say that to you but we're still prepared to beat that person well don't you think that's why it's just as important to define success as being the best version you can be yes rather than like yeah, you and, want to win an NCAA title. That's yeah. great. But. So I mean, in working with, in working with kids, um, and and establishing goals for them, is uh, retainable and realistic goals. Right. And you know that's the same thing in in life. Things that, you know, everybody wants to be rich and famous, but. Um, Right. I guess there are books out there. Anybody can be a millionaire. <laughs> I, I haven't found that book yet. <laughs> but it's like, what does that even mean, though? I mean, what can you do today to do that? Yeah. Right? It's, you know, what three things can you do today? It's, yes. you know, go to practice every day or whatever it is. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, my days are really fun. Um, and, and I look forward to working with the, the different uh, talent levels. Sometimes it's... Uh, you know, when somebody doesn't get something that you're doing and you keep, you know, going over and going over and going over and doing it, it, it can be frustrating. But, um, it, you know, sometimes I just think back about, you know, teaching somebody that w- was not um, that capable and, and how much it meant to them to move through the sport um, and, and define that success level and, and what it meant to them. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. And if kids want to get involved with your academy now, you're running a Buxton Wrestling Academy, I believe it's called. How would they find that? How do they sign up for classes with you? Because I know if I had the chance to work with someone like you, I'd certainly do it. So how can parents do that? Um, it, it, we have a, I'm not a, a social media guy. I don't have – I have zero social media. Um, my What's kid, the facility called? It's called the Buxton Athletic Training Center. Okay. Uh, there, I have a person that has a that runs the website. It's on Facebook. It's on Instagram. Um, I think it's on Snapchat. Um, what type of services would they get there? So we have um, we have a, uh, a weight training facility as as well as a, a big wrestling facility. We have four mats. Um, wow. We have a novice. Um, classes that go on as well as um, uh, elementary and then we have high school um, and then there are days that there are some elite level kids in there uh, mostly we do the elite level stuff out of out of Lehigh okay um, but uh, I you know I give the opportunity